Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Chris Gordy of Sports Talk 790 down there in Houston, as well as the Locked On SEC podcast. Gordy, as always, man, appreciate you joining us. It's nice to talk to you after an actual Razorback win this time around, so that way we don't have to do the same long river brawl about how, ah, this team's not very good. They keep finding new ways to lose. It's kind of nice for a change of pace. Yeah, no, it was good to see, and I felt good for for Sam Pittman. It felt good for KJ Jefferson. It was good to see Rock Sanders back out there. And it, look, it wasn't pretty, but it was. Uh, it, it was so weird, guys. I mean, all you do is you get rid of Dan Eno, suddenly the offense opens up. It starts moving a little bit more. And, hey, you know, they, they start running the football. I couldn't believe when I heard the stat. They said it was the first rushing touchdown against an SEC opponent uh, this year. I was like, good God, what has been going on over there? So, uh, yeah, we will chalk it up to uh, behind Chad Morris, maybe the uh, second-worst hire in uh, the last decade at Arkansas. Well, I also want to ask you that, too, because I, I don't disagree with you. But now, this, what does this do? Like, does this change anything? I mean, obviously, a win is a win, and you're going to take it. But, like, you're still 3-6. and six. It's like, it's great. But, like, what does this change? Does it change anything at all for Arkansas? Well, it it, it, it at least changes a little bit. I mean, like, the, what's the opposite? You lose out. You lose every SEC game. And, and then, you know, you really are just in a tough spot, I think. At least winning a couple games down the stretch. If they're not going to make a move with Sam Pitt, then they're going to keep him moving forward. I think you, it provides a little, um, you know, solidifies a little bit of the grounding. It says, look, we have a foundation here. You go hit the recruiting trail hard. You go hit the transfer portal, and you start to look at the future and say, all right, who's our future quarterback? Is, is Rocket coming back or is he gone? You know, what's all the decisions that head into the offseason looking ahead to 2024? Because uh, look, this is a vital offseason for every SEC team. Just with the, given the situation of Oklahoma and Texas coming in, uh, it does not get easier. I mean, it, it just doesn't. Uh, A&M's going to have a monster decision to make when Jimbo finishes 7-5. and five. Do they pay the massive buyout and go go headhunting and find a big name to bring in, or do they stick with Jimbo another year? You know, the same thing with, with Arkansas. Are we better with Sam Pittman, or are we better moving on? That's, that's a decision they'll have to make. Um, and then my friend who's a big Oklahoma fan uh, texted me last night, told me they have to pay $30 million to buy a Venable if they, if they want to get rid of him. So it's just, uh, it's just kind of an interesting time because I think everybody across the SEC, no matter how your season ends this year, you're looking ahead to 2024 and you're looking at the daunting task of, hey, we're adding two big dogs to this conference next year and it's about to get even tougher on everybody. Are we prepared to handle it? What's your opinion on Jimbo and the situation there? Are you um, of the mindset that the buyout is still too big and that he needs more of an opportunity or that it, it could be time? Well, I've been saying it all year that, you know, it's 2023 and Jimbo's still coaching uh, like it's 2009. I mean, it's like all the things that he wants to run on offense and his approach to games and all this. I mean, you cannot win with a game manager or quarterback the, the times have changed in the SEC. You have to have a good to great quarterback to win. Uh, mediocre doesn't get it done. And Max Johnson's been mediocre. Now, uh, the, that's the one big thing Jimbo will have in his meeting with his bosses is that he can sit down and go, guys, if Connor Wegman doesn't get hurt, keep in mind, Connor Wegman was a top quarterback recruit a year ago. He was a five star. Um, you know, they, they looked really good through those first couple weeks. That's out of the loss in Miami, right? I mean, but that was more of the defense than the offense. Um, but they were looking really good. And I think if Connor Wegman, you can make a case, and Jimbo will make this case, that if Connor Wegman doesn't get hurt, 
you know, that they maybe have a chance to, to, to beat Alabama. I mean, you lost that one by six. You lose it at Tennessee by seven. And you lose that, at, you know, at Ole Miss this past week by three. They've been in, outside of the Miami loss, they've been in every other game uh, this season. And I, I think a case could be made if Connor Wegman was still, was still healthy, they win a few of those games. And maybe A&M sitting here at, you know, I don't know, seven and seven and two or something like that. So, uh, but that's on the Aggie elite to, to decide if they want to pay that, that massive buyout, buyout, which is still massive, by the way. And, uh, and then who you go hire? I mean, you know, I've heard, I've heard different names floated out there on who they would go headhunting for. And, you know, what, one scenario I thought was really funny that, that Clemson and, and Dabo decided to just mutually part ways and then Dabo ends up at College Station. I think that would be epic. But it's, it's just one of those things like, you know, just because you have a list of big names you'd like to, you'd like to hire doesn't mean you're going to get them. I mean, I look at LSU a year ago or two years ago that, they, all the big names they were looking at, Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley turned them down. Lincoln Riley said, no, I'm going to USC. I don't want to go to the, U, to the SEC where it's uh, super tough to win already. And now with bringing in Texas and Oklahoma, look, money is one thing. SEC jobs pay better than just about everybody. But I do think there will be some people out there who look at those open positions and say, look, as much as I'd love to go make millions upon millions at A&M, do I really want that state to have to go play in the SEC uh, a loaded SEC with, with Oklahoma and Texas and all these other good teams. So um, I think that is part. Like, I think you will see some open SEC jobs this year and next year that maybe a lot of big names turn down because they go, I don't want to be a part of that. Like, I'd rather stay in the Big 12 or uh, the Big 10 where I just have a little bit of an easier road than going to the SEC. So, Gordy, speaking of LSU, you know, of course, the game that everybody circles each and every year in this conference is Alabama and LSU. They played each other over the weekend. And Alabama got the victory, 42-28, pretty high scoring. And it's funny because I look at Jalen Milrose, like, oh, you know, 219 passing yards, 15 of 23. No touchdowns, though, no picks. But that's okay because he ran for 155 yards and four touchdowns. But Jaden Daniels also had an incredible game. Just what would you make of this matchup and the two great quarterback plays that you had from both guys? And uh, where does this leave Alabama? And where does this also leave LSU moving forward? Well, history was stacked against LSU in this one. As good as Jaden Daniels has been and as good as the LSU offense has been, and they were. They were great on, on Saturday. I mean, they put up over 500 yards of offense in Tuscaloosa. I don't think, uh, outside of Joe Burrow, I don't know if LSU had ever done that before uh, outside of the 2019 year. But when I throw this stat out at you guys, in the last decade, in the last decade, 10 years, Nick Saban has lost three home games. 2015 to Ole Miss. 2019 LSU, and of course to Texas in week two of this season. The odds that Alabama was going to lose a second home game in the same year was not, again, history was not on LSU's side here. So it's funny. I, I, you know, Chris Marler is my buddy who's a big Alabama fan talking trash and all these Alabama fans talking. And I'm going, guys, first off, you were the favorite. Second off, this is what the Nick Saban error has been. He doesn't lose. I mean, he just doesn't. It. It, it, it's the reason why you guys. Uh, go ballistic on the message board when you lose two games in a year because you're not used to losing. Saban just doesn't lose. And uh, on Saturday, look, LSU's defense has been historically bad this year, and that house is going to be fired. You know, last year at LSU, Brian Kelly had epic. He was epically bad on special teams. I mean, they had blocked field goals, punt returns, fumbled punt returns. I mean, just everything that could go wrong on special teams went wrong for Brian Kelly and LSU last year, and they made a coaching change. And special teams have been much better this year. But now they have a defensive problem. And Matt House has been 
god-awful. When you give up 700 yards of offense to Ole Miss, when you give up 500 yards of offense at, at Mizzou, you give up 500 yards of offense at Alabama. Dude, if LSU's defense was just average, if it was just average, they win that game in Tuscaloosa on Saturday. If they have an epically great offense. This is, you know, it's right there on par with the year where they had Joe Burrow and went undefeated and won the national championship. But what did they have that year? They had Dave Aranda, who was actually a competent defensive coordinator. This year, Matt House has been trash, garbage. I mean, put him in, put him in the same boat as uh, as Chad Morris. I mean, that's how bad this defense is. It's been just historically bad. And it's a damn shame because they have wasted the talent that Jaden Daniels is. The fact that this kid is one of the leading uh, passers in all of college football, and he has three losses, it's not on the offense. It's on the defense. And if any if any defensive coach with a brain was watching that game on Saturday, they would have said, hey, we got we got to take away Jalen Milrow. We can't let him keep killing us with his feet. And they kept coming at him, averaging, what, eight, almost eight yards a carry every time Milrow tucked it and ran it. Um, yeah, it, that, that's what happened. And so, yeah, I mean, and look, my, the onus is not on LSU. It's not on the players. To me, it's on the coaching that, that, that failed them. And I expect LSU will make a, a hiring change uh, on the defensive side of the football this offseason. For Alabama, and, of course, referencing playing the LSU defense, so a lot of teams look good against them. But for Bama, right. what, what do you point to to say this is the reason why their offense has looked a lot better here in, in the last few weeks? We know the defense has been carrying them most of the season, but the offense seems to be in a better flow now also. Yeah, and, and, it's, and part of it is Milrose maturing, and he's developing as a, as a quarterback and making smart decisions. I thought on Saturday he didn't he didn't make the big mistake. I mean, what did we see from him all season long? He he struggles and throws a bad pick or throws a, or, or fumbles a ball when he gets sacked. And uh, you know he Alabama's the most sacked team in the SEC, or they were at least coming into this past week. LSU sacked him twice. I mean, it, it was not they didn't disrupt enough, and Milro did a fantastic job of taking care of the football. There was one pass that he threw into double coverage that if. If uh, one of those LSU DBs gets their head turned around, would have had an opportunity. I, I think at that point LSU was up seven, and it was a moment where I went, "My God!" If LSU picks picks off Milrow right there, boom, there's the big mistake for Milrow. And if LSU goes down and scores, they go up fourteen. Maybe that game plays out differently. But again, Milrow didn't make the big mistake. He he uh, he took care of the football. And if he keeps playing like this, yeah, Alabama's going to be right there. They're going to have a chance to to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game and maybe get into the playoff. Uh, when everybody wrote him off a few weeks ago. But I will say, going to Kentucky this Saturday is not going to be a, a walk in the park. Kentucky is, is – they look much better this past week. I get it was Mississippi State. But Kentucky's defense, when they're on, they can give you problems. And, and it's a road game. And Milrow is – you know, they, they've had times where he hasn't looked great on the road. So let's see what Kentucky does this weekend. And I'm, I'm going to throw this one out there too. Auburn's looked better these last couple weeks. They're running the football with Jarquez Hunter. Peyton Thorne's looking a little bit better. If Peyton Thorne keeps improving and, and gets better, who knows, man? The Iron Bowl, crazy things happen in that Iron Bowl. So, uh, unfortunately, if Alabama beats Kentucky, though, I believe you know that even with an, an SEC loss in the Iron Bowl, they would still win the West over Ole Miss with, because they have the head-to-head. So, uh, we'll see what happens. But, hey, look, I, can this Alabama team still trip up and lose the game? Absolutely. Just because you beat LSU does not mean you're going to run the table and, and get into the playoffs. Speaking with Chris Gordy of Sports Talk 790 and the Locked On SEC podcast here on Out of Bounds. Well, Gordy, talk about the other team in the East, Georgia. They were able to beat Missouri 30-21. to 
uh, big defensive play. We saw a big man score a touchdown, which is always a lot of fun. But now Georgia, it seems like they've been in full control of the schedule people talked about and critical and how it's been. But now you got Ole Miss who's coming to town, and then you still have to go on the road to Tennessee. Uh, Georgia, do you feel like they went out, still the best team, still able to take care of business, or do you think that maybe Tennessee and Ole, or Ole Miss or both ends up getting the Bulldogs? Yeah, I, I think they can. I mean, I kept looking at it saying that that three-week stretch of playing Mizzou, Ole Miss, Tennessee was going to be the toughest stretch for Georgia. And credit Mizzou, man. Brought up Brady Cook. He played as well as he could. Cody Schrader ran the ball well. And Eli Drinkwitz, I thought, had a great game plan. They just messed up. They made Brady Cook made that one bad pass in the fourth quarter that Nazir Stackhouse intercepts, and boom, they go and get a field goal, and suddenly – a six-point deficit turns into a nine-point deficit, and that was it. They, they just weren't going to come back from that. But credit Mizzou, they, you know, hostile environment in Athens, played their butts off. If that game is in Columbia, Missouri, I think Georgia probably, you know, they might lose that game. But this is just who Georgia is this year. I mean, they, they're not the big, bad, dominant force we're used to, but they're still pretty damn good, man. And, and they still, you know, every week you play with fire, you, you keep coming out with a victory. Um, I do think they will beat Ole Miss this weekend. The game in Tennessee will be very interesting because Tennessee's run attack has been so, so good. I mean, they're not just tops in the SEC. They're number three in the country in running the football. It's amazing how that team went from being one of the best passing teams in the country to one of the best running teams in just one year transition. But that will be an interesting one. But I think, you know, look how the tiebreakers set up here. I mean, everybody else in the East already has two losses. So, you know, Georgia could lose in in, – in Knoxville, and it won't mean much. They're still going to go to the SEC title game, but the danger scenario there, guys, is what happens if it's one loss Georgia versus one loss Alabama in the SEC championship game. Whoever wins that game, you think would get into the into the playoff automatically. But what if Texas is sitting there, you know, as a Big Twelve champ with one loss? What if Washington is unscathed, undefeated as a Pac-12 champ, and one of either Ohio State or Michigan is undefeated out of the Big Ten? It's going to get really interesting to see what the college football playoff committee decides to do there on, on who gets in and who doesn't. And there is a real scenario where the SEC could get left out this year. I know a lot of people got SEC fatigue. I think there's a real scenario where, you know, one loss Bama or one loss Georgia could get left out if some other teams are, are ahead of them. How about a scenario where Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game? Georgia goes in there undefeated and then they come out with one loss. As a back-to-back champion, you would think that there would be some some kind of, you know, olive branch extended to them where it's like we can't leave them out at this point because they are the back-to-back champs and they deserve a spot in the college football playoff. Yeah, but this is where we really have to reset our brains and say it's a year-to-year week. We can't do carryover. We can't say – just because Georgia's, you know, they're, they're back-to-back champs, so they deserve a third shot. No, you got to look at body of work. Now, I still think Michigan's schedule is an absolute joke. I think even if they beat Ohio State, they should get dinged for not scheduling anybody. But keep in mind, Georgia hasn't really played anybody either. I mean, they're not conference. Remember, they were supposed to open with Oklahoma, but the SEC made them drop that game because they said, well, Oklahoma's coming to the conference anyway, so we don't want to start at home and home with them. Uh, but Georgia's non-conference schedule was weak as hell, too. So you're going to get some really, really interesting arguments if that scenario plays out like you said. But how does it look, right? I mean, if Georgia's undefeated and they lose on a field goal to Bama in the SEC title game, I think right there, you, benefit of the doubt, you give it to Georgia and you put them in. But I can't do – I can't go – if I'm on the playoff committee, I can't go into those meetings going, well, look, Georgia's 
you know, they're, they're going for a three-peat. They've won the last two championships. You've got to erase that from your memory. 2023 is about what you did in 2023. And to me, in my mind, I don't know why Florida State is behind Michigan. Florida State's got a much better resume of wins right now than Michigan does. And yet, I keep looking at these polls, and they got Michigan 2 and Florida State 4. It just makes no sense to me. Chris, I know uh, we talk college football, but, man, how about those Houston Texans? I know you had to beat my my, my boy Baker. And uh, well, what an exciting game. And also, when you see a rookie in C.J. Stroud, 470 yards, five touchdowns and no picks, another walk in the park, just sure people are really excited about all the potential in the future down there in Houston. Yeah, this, this is a franchise that waited a long time for a franchise quarterback. I mean, they went through the years of, of David Carr, uh, Matt Schaub, and just mediocre to, to average quarterback play. And then they finally had a, what they thought was a superstar, Deshaun Watson. And then, you know, 32 uh, cases of uh, inappropriate massages and demanding a trade and all this. They, they move on from him. And the people here in Houston just thought, we're, God, are we going to have to wait another 20 years for our next franchise quarterback? And lo and behold, uh, they loved Bryce Young. They were hoping to get the number one pick and get Bryce Young. They wind up with the number two pick, and they take C.J. Stroud of Ohio State. And i got to say, C.J. has been light years better than I thought he would be, than a lot of people expected. He has been outstanding. He's everything you want in a leader. On the field, he looks like a vet who's been playing two, three years. He never gets rattled. And, again, he just says all the right things. And yesterday we saw a perfect example of him taking the team right down the field. The defense just gave up a go-ahead score. And, you know, with under a minute to go, and you're going, oh, my God, what a terrible home loss. And C.J. just takes him right down the field and scores. And it was it was amazing. It was outstanding. And right now he is looking like the prize quarterback of this draft class. Uh, definitely the driver's seat for offensive rookie of the year. I think he's better than uh, Nakua with the Rams and, uh, and Jordan Addison with the Vikings right now. Uh, Bijan Robinson, you know, at Atlanta. I, I think nobody's played better through the first uh, half of the season than C.J. Stroud. So, We'll see if he can keep repeating it, and we'll see how many wins the Texans can get here. Because, look, the Colts, the Titans, and the Jaguars, this is still a winnable division for them. So, we'll see. But, man, uh, I look like a big dummy uh, on my fantasy team yesterday with T.J. Stroud and Tank Dell sitting right there on my bench. Hmm. Uh, about 70 fantasy points just sitting there staring me in the eyes. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big dummy for not starting either of those guys yesterday. Hey, you'll take the win nonetheless. All right, Chris Gordy of Sports Talk 790. Enjoyed it as always, Gordy. Uh, had a great week, man. We'll catch up with you soon, okay? All right, guys. And, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's see if the Hawks can keep winning here. Auburn, you can do this. Let's go.